and our divine message. It's good to be back. There's more of you. And there's more children. I have to bring more money for the children's offering. And beautiful children. Mama, dads, you've done a really good job. I know a lot's happened since I was last here. Uh, I think first and foremost, Vera losing her husband and then us losing Vera. But you know, God is good because we have a promise that all who remain faithful to him shall live again. She won't be any more pain now, but she'll have a new body next time. When she opens her eyes, she'll have a new body. And that is God's blessing to us, and that's why he raised us up. We're Seventh-day Adventists, preparing people for the soon return of Christ. I know some of you have had COVID in a worse way. You battled for weeks, if not some months, and others have had it and got through it a little quicker. Alina uh, wanted to be here. She talked about being here all week. But when I left the house, she was still sleeping. You know, COVID just it takes the energy out of you. And uh, she's a long hauler. But every day we see improvement. And God is good because he created an immune system and a body that can heal even when it's hit hard. And uh, we thank God for that. Um, but it's good to be back. There's no place like Brooklyn. <laughs> I thought you were all going to say Brooklyn. <laughs> ah, there's no place like There you go. I like that. But you were right the first time. You know, it's not like you were wrong. It was just uh... Yes. It is home. Yes, it is. Um, I appreciate the, the choir. That was wonderful. And the children's story was just right on. You know, it's it's the best story that could ever be told. You know, Christ taking our place, you know. Now, I, I want to do a few sermons on temperance. I know talking about health and temperance in some Adventist churches isn't the most popular thing to talk about. But when I sat in ICU for a week, there were people who died. And I was told I was a one percenter. I was one of the, the ones best off. And I thought, boy, there's a lot of people suffering here. And the ones that suffered the most had underlying causes. And those underlying causes are probably from breaking the laws of health. Not necessary. It could have been hereditary. But even then, at some point, someone was breaking some laws, even to pass on some hereditary traits. But I want us to talk about this. I, in fact, I, was, I had read the book Temperance by Ellen White. It's a compilation of the things she had said on the topic about 20 years ago. And I was determined when I got out of the hospital, I'd read it again. And I'm amazed of the principles that are involved there and how much the concept of temperance plays into last day events and our preparation for heaven. And, um, in fact, it inspired me. There's going to be a quote here about how Satan's going to try to destroy us physically, mentally, spiritually. And I tried to start writing a book. I'm about 150 pages so far of what does temperance have to do with the physical? What does it have to do with our mental health? What does it have to do with our spiritual nature? Because temperance versus intemperance plays a part, a huge part, probably bigger than we know. So let's pray. Father, we are embarking on a very important topic that sometimes is buried. We don't talk about it enough. But, Father, we would ask that you give us wisdom from above to understand what it would be to live a temperate life that brings you glory, a temperate life that allows us to feel better physically, mentally, and spiritually, something that will help us to be of even greater service to you because you're worthy. And so, Father, I just want to thank you for this lovely congregation and how... The Holy Spirit has brought 
even new people, new faces that will be an added blessing to this church and to the furthering of the work here in this greater Cleveland area. So, Father, we ask that you grace us with that promise of the Spirit to guide our hearts and our minds heavenward. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I suppose the first thing to do is to try to define temperance. I have a definition up here. Temperance is abstaining from all that is evil. And when I mean all that is evil, I'm not just talking about food and drink. I'm talking about even evil thoughts. We need to really abstain from evil thoughts. Um, I knew someone who, I won't say the name, she had a number of siblings. She had four siblings, and she was the one of the five children who lived a healthy lifestyle. But she's the one that died first because she had an abusive home. She lived in an abusive home. And so the evil actions towards her shortened her life. Not what she ate shortened her life, but her brothers and sisters ate all kinds of things that brought harm to their body and lived longer because they had a nicer environment in their home. So when we talk about temperance, we're not really just limiting it to food and drinks. It's got to include the entire life. To be temperate in in all things, all things, includes our thoughts because our thoughts and our feelings have as much effect on our body as what we eat and drink, okay? So really temperance, my understanding of temperance from the Bible is you abstain from everything that's evil and then it's moderation what's, in, what's good. Eating an apple's good, but eating 50 apples at one time is not good. That would be intemperance, even though you're eating something that's healthful. Okay? Now, if you, if you were to... Let's see. I turned it on. Let's see. So on our next slide... <laughs> if I remember my slide presentation, it's not working. Oh, there we go. Some teach moderation and use of alcohol. You'll see that defined in the Bible that you can drink out, just don't drink too much, just drink it in moderation. But alcohol is a poison, it actually does harm. And we'll talk more about it that it. It doesn't just affect, affect slurred speech or your liver. It, the alcohol goes through your whole system. Absolutely. It's a toxin going through your whole system. And the devil wants that. He wants us to have high toxicity in our Bible or in our bodies because he knows we'll make, we won't make the right decisions in life. And so, but if you follow that logical conclusion, you can have moderation things that are bad. Well, what are we going to say? That we can moderately have evil thoughts? Don't have evil thoughts all the time, but it's okay to have a few evil thoughts. You know, it doesn't make sense. And when you think about the Ten Commandments, thou shall not steal. It doesn't say you can steal moderately a little bit, but don't just steal a lot. No, the Bible is very consistent. God doesn't want our lives at all associated with what brings harm or evil. He really only wants us to have that which is good, whether it's food or drink or thoughts or feelings, or our activities. All of it should be health-promoting and not health-destroying. you agree? These are some interesting statements. How important is temperance? Temperance is the foundation. Notice what it says here. The foundation of all the graces that come from God. The foundation of all victories to be gained. And that makes perfect sense, just logically. If I only do what's right... I'm able to have victories and build on it. When I became a Christian at the age of 20, God didn't show me all my intemperance at once. He didn't show me all the places where I fail. He didn't show me things that I was eating I shouldn't and drinking all in one day. Or thoughts or feelings. But you build on these victories. He shows you one at a time. And you get rid of the evil to do the good, and that is a victory, but it's your foundation. You're building on a foundation that will get you your future victories. But see, what the devil knows is that if he can get you to practice intemperance, you won't gain these victories. Because the whole body's interconnected. It all winds up going back to the mind where you make all your decisions. And we're going to get more into that, the science of it. God requires that his people shall be temperate in all things. 
Unless they practice temperance, they will not, cannot be sanctified through the truth. That's quite a strong statement, but it makes perfect sense. Because sanctification basically means to be made holy. You can only be made holy by doing what's good. You can't be made holy by doing things that bring harm to you and others. And so it's just, it's just a logical principle there. From the Greek word igrate and the Latin word tempus, temperance, temperance suggests a, a return to self-control. So all of God's laws, his moral law, his health laws, are there not for us to earn salvation because we can't. They're simply the principles that help us to gain self-control. So if I'm dehydrated, which is one of God's laws is to drink lots of water, I'm, I'm actually lubricating my body, I'm able to make better decisions, but if I don't drink enough water and I feel dehydrated, I'm going to feel fatigued, which makes me less likely or more likely to incline to my fallen nature. And that's just one law amongst many laws that God has about temperance. And so every law is allowing us to make these better decisions, to build on these victories as a foundation. Uh, the laws of God, the Ten Commandments, is a foundation to live by. It's not a means of earning salvation. It's a foundation. That if I could keep those Ten Commandments by God's grace and His health laws by God's grace, I'm going to gain victory after victory after victory, and the devil can throw whatever he wants at me, but I've got a, vein, a, a foundation to stand on. Okay? Let's look at a little bit of history here. When Adam and Eve came forth from the Creator's hand... They possessed a mind and body free from disease. They must have looked absolutely beautiful. You imagine that? You live in a world, there's no disease, there's no virus. In your body, there's no disease, there's no defects. Absolutely perfect. And in that, their hot thoughts were holy, their, their feelings, their motives were pure, and because their diet was health-promoting, right? Everything they were doing for whatever period of time tended towards life. It was all good. They were happy. They were holy. They were temperate in everything. But after they disobeyed God's laws, they hid from God. They were afraid of God. They made excuses for their disobedience. They lost self-control. They now went from a perfect nature to a fallen nature, and their oldest son would murder their other son. This is all the result of what? Sin. I'll get even more specific. Intemperance. Because if Adam and Eve had not given in and lost self-control, had they not partaken of something that God forbid, Abel's not murdered. And that Moses' statement here, or maybe it's in the next one, but in this history, after Adam and Eve sinned, men have taken the good things that God has made and just simply turned them into poisons. For example, God created wheat, which is good, but men turn it into alcohol, which causes disease and death. God creates a tobacco plant, which, by the way, is actually a good antiseptic. Okay? Um, but men have taken that. They drive the leaves, turn them into cigarettes, and they get, they get lung cancer. They've taken something that's good, and they turn it into a poison. Um, so in short, mankind's violation of God's moral and health laws accounts, and I say, people might say, well, that's, that's too extreme. All the misery in the world? All the misery? Look at this statement. Intemperance lies at the foundation of how much? All the moral evils known to man. Christ began the work of redemption just where the ruin began. The fall of our first parents was caused by the indulgence of appetite, and redemption and denial of appetite is the first work of Christ. So Adam and Eve had this beautiful body with no sign of disease and wound up giving in to appetite. Jesus comes after 4,000 years of sin. Imagine that. And we're going to look at a slide here that the average lifespan of Jesus' time was 35 years. All kinds of people come to be sick, not just people who are old, people who are young. He takes on that body and fasts 40 days and 40 nights. Why? Because the strong pull of intemperance is so strong 
in our human frame after 6,000 years of sin, or in his case, 4,000, that this is where he starts the victory. This is where he starts gaining victories for us, to live a perfect life, okay? Intemperance in a large sense of the word is at the foundation of the larger share of the ills of, the, of life. Notice this, nine-tenths of the wickedness among children of today is caused by intemperance in eating and drinking. That's quite a statement. But think about this. All children are born with hereditary traits that tend, some are good traits, but some are bad traits. We're living after 6,000 years of sin. And let me put that in a perspective. There was a time I lived in New Orleans. And they said, don't drink the what? Don't drink the water. Why? Because all the pollution in Mississippi, all the pollution in the Ohio River and the Missouri River found its way in the Mississippi and all wound up at the mouth of the Gulf there, the Gulf of Mexico, in New Orleans. And so at that junction, you're receiving all the pollution of everybody that lives north of you. That's like living at the end of 6,000 years of sin. Everything that everyone's ever done that preceded us in time has been passed on to us. We are ultimately the weakest generation. Now, we have some technology that keeps us going a little longer. But we are weak. And so when, so when we look at nine-tenths of the wickedness as due to children's lifestyle habits, these children are born with these 6,000 years of hereditary traits passed down to them. And look at our society. Look at television. Look at music. Look at, look at all the things that used to have at least some redeeming qualities. I mean, there used to be an Andy Griffith show. And now yesterday's villains are today's heroes. That's a different environment that these kids grew up in. And then if you sh- feed these kids all the sugar, it's going to add to that fallen nature. And it will be the reason why of the nine-tenths of the things they do wrong. You see? So when you get your kids on a healthy diet, you give them the best opportunity to fight against that lower nature, to cooperate with God, to develop a new nature after the image of Christ. It does matter what we eat and drink, okay? And everything that we do. Concerning the antediluvian world, Jesus says, notice what he said here. We know that their thoughts were what? Continuously evil. But what does it actually say here? How are they described? Jesus says they did eat, they drank, they married under the day until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Well, it's a given that they ate. God created us to eat food. You know, He created us in a way that we could drink water. And that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about that they did it excessively. That the eating and drinking that they were doing is what led to their destruction. Notice what it says here on councils on diets and food. The inhabitants of the old world were intemperate in eating and drinking. They would have flesh meats, although God had given them no permission to eat animal food. They ate and drank to excess, and their depraved appetites knew no bounds. They gave themselves up to abominable idolatry. They became violent and ferocious, and so corrupt that God could bear them no longer. Their cup of iniquity was full, and God cleansed the earth of its moral pollution by a flood. So let me ask you a question. The antediluvians early on didn't start with all their thoughts being evil. But after 1,660 years of an antediluvian world, and we'll see that here in a little bit, a little over 1,600 years, thoughts are continuously evil. What was the foundation of that? What led to all that? Intemperance. It really did. And we, we may look at it and say, oh, no, it's got to be more than that. No, it doesn't have to be more than that. I mean, we could, we could look at the, the life of a person... Um, on, on alcohol, alcoholism. And you just see the change in one person's lifespan. Imagine the intemperance of generations of people leading to this. And they only become more intemperate. Because as the appetite desires more spice and it desires more flesh and it desires more alcohol, and desire, it just gets worse. It's accumulative to the point that it, they just ruined themselves. To the point that God just simply had to start over. That's how bad it was. 
They probably thought they could live intemperately without impunity. The obituaries for the antediluvians are that they lived 800 and 1,000 years. Uh, Adam lived, what, 930 years. And just about everybody, we're going through that in our youth class, just reading through Genesis 5. Everybody's living somewhere between 800 and 1,000 years. There was one person who only lived 777 years. Yeah. All the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he, he died. doesn't say heart disease, doesn't say anything. All the days that Seth were 912 years, and he died. For some, it said he died in a good old age, in an old man, full of years, up to the time he died. He just expired. And it just seems as if they lived, and they weren't really dying of heart disease and cancer. They were dying because, well, they lived in a sinful world. They had a certain amount of life force. All of us are actually born with a certain amount of life force. And it's not exactly the same. Some of you might have started life with a life force to live 100 years, some 80 years. And by your lifestyle choices, you either decrease that or you keep that. But you use it up. And what a temperance does is it steals away time that you could have had that you started off with. You know, the full length of your life. So the Antediluvians lived around 4004 B.C. We take the ages of that's in the genealogy there of Adam, and we go back, and it comes to about 4004 B.C. And if you take those same ages and you go the other way, you pretty much got a year for the floods, 2344 B.C., 1,660 years, okay? These Antediluvians lived for how long? 800 to 1,000 years. By the time you get to Jesus... The average lifespan is 35 years old. That's a huge difference. How do you account for that? How do you go from 800, 900? And I know the environment changed, right? It was different. You know, there was even a tilt on the axis that we're told. And there's not that canopy of of water around the earth so you could have a semi-tropical environment all around the world. Their oxygen was better. Their food was better. There's more nutrients in their food than we have today. But even so, 800 years, 1,000 years, 35 years. That's a huge drop. So what happened? Intemperance, this this accumulative intemperance of how men have lived and thought. And again, intemperance is more than eating and drinking. It's the accumulation of simply breaking God's moral and health laws. We look at some of the history of the Old Testament. We see in the life of Esau, who gave up his birthright for a pot of lentils. The strong pull to put temporal things before spiritual things. You know, he came back from hunting, and he was so famished, he thought he was going to die. He probably wasn't going to die, but he felt he was going to die. But he sold his birthright because the temporal was more important than the spiritual. But imagine the birthright he had. What was his birthright? What was the great thing about his birthright? It wasn't just property. Oh, the Messiah was going to come through him. Imagine the birthright that through you was going to become the world's redeemer. You would want to keep yourself spiritually pure, right? But see, that's what his brother did. He coveted this, not in a bad way. Maybe he did it in the wrong way. But he realized he was far more spiritual. So Esau thought that he could probably just as easily buy it back as if he sold it. But that's how people think about their health. Today, most people think about temporal life instead of eternal life. And so they're willing to indulge in things that bring disease now, but they don't feel the effects of it yet. And they figure, well, I'll just change a little later. And Esau, it was a little late, wasn't it? And it's just because that's what intemperance does. Intemperance for Esau was... He didn't have enough in his diet of spiritual things. Is that right? If he had had more in his diet of spiritual things, desires, praying, communion with God, he wouldn't have made this wrong choice. And so intemperance is more than just eating and drinking. Psalm Gomorrah, before you read that, if I say Psalm Gomorrah, what's their sin? Sexual immorality. First thing comes up, right? But knows how the Bible says it. 
Jesus says, likewise, also as, a, as in the days of Lot, they did eat and they drank and they bought and they sold. They planted, they built it. And the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone upon heaven and destroyed them all. It doesn't say he had fire because of sexual immorality. He tells you the foundation that led to that. They were eating and drinking intemperately. And this was the foundation that led them. The foundation of intemperance may lead to different sins for different people. Or different communities. But it still leads to sin. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, out of Egyptian bondage, he took the flesh pots of Egypt and gave them manna and water. And do you know what some wanted to do? They wanted to actually go back to slavery. What was the singular reason they wanted to go back to slavery? It was diet. They wanted to eat those flesh pots again. They would rather go back to Egypt and be a slave again just so they can eat flesh than to experience how God was going to continue to deliver his people by just eating and drinking simply. And, uh, and, it's, and, it, and the word simplicity is really strongly, I think, related to temperance. And we're going to get into this a little bit because what the devil wants to do, he wants to overexcite you. He wants to overexcite. See, we have senses. We have to have outside things that keeps us going, oxygen, all kinds of things. But we are created to be harmonious. Everything working very healthily and together. All the devil has to do is excite some part of your body that puts everything out of kilter. You see? He doesn't care what it is. He doesn't care if you have a lot of hateful thoughts for a long time. It's going to disrupt your body. It's going to disrupt the system. Okay? In the cases of Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, they were told, you can't, you can't drink wine and then go in into the tabernacle and do service. But because they kept drinking wine, they wound up making that which is spiritual common. They couldn't even tell the difference between what was common and what was actually spiritual. What, what, what was the cause of that? Intemperance, wasn't it? And that's exactly what intemperance is. And it's not just alcohol. It could be too much sugar. It could be a lot of things. Too much worldly television can cause us to wind up making common that which is spiritual and we don't see the difference between the two. And that's all the devil has to do. He doesn't care whether it's why watching worldly television or listening to worldly music or drinking a Diet Coke or whatever it is. He knows that it has an effect on the body as a whole. Now, Daniel's the exception. And what we learn about Daniel, who's this 18-year-old, who possibly even saw his parents murdered by the Babylonians, he's one of thousands of young people who are of the royal lineage, tied neck to neck. They have to walk from Jerusalem to Babylon. It's about a six-month journey. And when he gets there... He's told that he's going to be put into a program that they might teach the learning and tongues of the Chaldeans. And the king would appoint them a daily portion of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years. But notice what Daniel says here. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, not with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested the prince of the Inuits that he might not defile himself. Let them give him pulse or vegetables to eat and to drink water. Did Daniel understand the principle of temperance versus intemperance? He knew that if he would begin to destroy his body by taking part of things that God forbid, it would change his thinking. It would change his his perspective, possibly even his religion. And he said, I'm not going to worship anybody else but God. And the only safe way to make sure that I worship no false God is just to abide by the rules of the true God. Because once I dabble into all this other stuff, I take the risk. I won't even be the same person anymore. I wind up going down a path of possible no return. Not that it's not possible for him to be saved and to come back. That door is always open. 
But he may not choose to come back. That's the problem. He may lose interest in spiritual things. But at the end of three years, the king found Daniel and his three friends ten times better. They seemed brighter. They seemed quicker to come to a conclusion, to be able to solve problems. Why? Why were they better? Because they were Hebrews? Because they were temperate. And God honored that. And we may, you might say, well, that nah, doesn't explain. And then, yeah, in a way, maybe it doesn't explain everything. But when you choose to honor God, he'll honor you back. And he'll give you wisdom. He'll give you knowledge because you chose to honor him. Okay? We find temperance, and of course, in the New Testament as well. In fact, the New Testament really begins by Jesus overcoming in the area of intemperance. He remained temperate. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights because that was the strong pool. Do you know that Lucifer actually thought he was going to get Jesus to sin in the wilderness? You know, he thought that this one would probably be the clincher. That that if Jesus accepts humanity after 4,000 years of sin, and he had been so successful with intemperance with all the rest of the human family before, Jesus would succumb and he would turn those stones into bread. But Jesus says, it is written. You see, he had never met a person who responded to temptation with the words, it is written. You see, we make a mistake that even when we're tempted and we know it's wrong, we try to overcome by ourselves without saying, it is written. Because the reality is, the choice is yours not to give in, but the power still belongs to God. He's the one that gives the victory. So when you're tempted, you turn to God's word, which is true. God stands behind his word. Is that right? That's what we need to always do. And that's what Jesus said. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That whatever God says is what determines what I eat or drink or whatever thing I do. Now, notice also in the New Testament where temperance plays into the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness Goodness, faith, meekness, and against such there's no law. That doesn't mean the Ten Commandments don't exist. It simply means there's no more transgression of the law. That if you have the love of Christ in your life, you won't break God's law. If you have temperance in your life, you don't break God's law. You see what I'm saying? If you have this fruit, this is what keeps you from breaking the law. God's not going to do away with his law. But he can keep us from transgressing it by giving us the fruit of the Spirit. Every one of these eight things is power to overcome whatever habits we have. Temperance is equally important as the rest of those in that list. Paul wrote, as far as a qualification for an elder, If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, and temperate. And, of course, not given to wine would be a temperance thing, too. But, in fact, everything in that list is a temperance issue, right? That is temperate in their emotions and in their feelings and everything, to just have that which is good. Peter's ladder. Notice Peter's ladder. And beside all this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, what? Temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness. For if these things be in you and abound, they may make that you shall neither be bare nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things, that whole list, including temperance, lacketh these things, is blind. Somehow it blinds us. Cannot see afar off, hath forgotten that he was purged from his own sins. When we become less loving... Does it affect our spiritual eyesight? If we become less meek and we become proud, does it affect our spiritual eyesight? Temperance is the same. But notice that temperance precedes patience. Now, there's a lot of people who know that they have a problem with impatience, but they didn't realize that their impatience is probably due to their intemperance. So take a mother who's trying to have patience with her children, but she doesn't get enough sleep. She doesn't drink enough water. She's on too high of a sugar diet. 
The caffeine that gave her kind of a high at first is now giving her a low. And you're trying to have patience with your children. You see, they're tied together. You can't really separate these things. Temperance becomes a foundation to even have patience. And part of the description of God's last day church is here are they, here are the, the patience of the saints. Implied in that very verse is a temperate people, isn't it? Because they have the patience of the saints. You would have to have temperance in your life. Or it won't, it won't happen. Okay? Now notice what this says about our day. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. That's our time. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were what? To excess. Marrying and giving in marriage. Probably not following God's counsel there. Until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them away so that all that come, coming of the sun. So, so shall also be the coming of the Son of Man. The same thing's going to happen. The same thing that was the foundation. Whereas out of probably about estimated 8 billion people before the flood, how many get on the ark? Eight out of 8 billion. We've got 8 billion people today. How many are going to get on the ark today? And what you see what the devil's doing, he's trying to get people to eat and drink things that are unhelpful, so they'll lose interest in spiritual things, so they don't get on the ark of our time. You see? Notice this. I was, I'm going to put up some quotes from the book Temperance here. And this is kind of a scary scene. Satan gathered the fallen angels together to advise some way of doing the most possible evil to the human family. And that quote goes on and says how the other angels, they gave an idea. It doesn't list with those ideas. I probably don't want to hear those ideas. But anyway, but Satan himself came up with a plan. He would take the fruit of the vine, also wheat, and other things given by God as food and would convert them into poisons, which would ruin man's physical, mental, and moral powers. This is why I wanted to write a book on temperance, physically, mentally, spiritually. Because this is Satan's plan. He'll try to tempt you to do things wrong, but he's tempting you to do things wrong by poisoning you. Because if you indulge in alcohol, it's a poison. If you drink caffeinated drinks, it's a poison. If you have too high of a sugar diet, it's a poison to your system. And he knows that if you poison your body, you're not going to have the same interest in spiritual things, and you're going to make wrong decisions. So temperance isn't a way of you and I earning salvation. You and I can't be saved by what we put on the fork. But what we eat makes a difference and affects the way we think and where our interests are. Notice this next statement. I thought this was... Notice the words I've highlighted. Intemperance of any kind does what? It benumbs. It benumbs the perceptive organs and so weakens the brain nerve power that eternal things are not appreciated but place upon a level with the common. Sounds like Nadab and Abihu, right? Whatever does what? Whatever disturbs the circulation of the electrical currents in the nervous system lessens the strength of the vital powers, and the result is a deadening of the sensibilities of the mind. Satan doesn't have to get you to go out and murder somebody. His job is to somehow disturb this perfect system that God created. Adam and Eve had a perfect system. All their body parts all worked together. There was harmony. All Satan has to do is destroy the harmony of how we were created. And whether it's through alcohol or caffeine or sugar or whatever it is, it disturbs it. And what's your body do? If a person gets drunk, eventually they kind of dry out or whatever you call it. They come back. And the body has a way. We were designed to try to get back to an equilibrium. But the person goes back and he drinks again. And here's the problem. You get your caffeine and you get your high, then you get a low. The body comes back to equilibrium. And then you do it the next day. You do it every day of the week. You do it every day of the month. You do it for years. What are you doing to your system? 
You've just weakened it. You've just lessened its potential of being healthy, and it's affecting the mind. And this is why God tells us to to be temperate in all things. Adam stood before God in the strength of perfect manhood. All the organs and faculties of his being were equally developed and what? Harmoniously balanced. So all of God's Ten Commandments and all his health laws is a way in which he's saying, this is how you keep the balance. This is how you keep this human machinery working to optimum health, to allow you to have the best potential thoughts. And Satan always ha- only has to run an intemperance movement. God actually raised us up to have a temperance movement. We have stop smoking clinics because we know people are poisoning their own bodies, you see. And so this is where the cooking schools and all this, the hydrotherapy, I would recommend as many as can go to that. Let me ask you a question. If you take an ox and begin training through overexertion, then you compromise the animal. It would be better to gently train him. Some people will take an animal ready to work and they overwork it. Will that animal ever be the same? What if you take an, an ox who's ready to start work, you've got to train him, but you whip him and you, 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 it's all this mistreatment of the animal to force him to do what you want him to do. Have you ruined the animal? Absolutely. You've ruined the animal. And so overburdening the system, overtaxing, overexciting the system is all Satan has to do. But I want you to contrast that to the fruit of the Spirit. Notice these words. The fruit of the Spirit is, is love. <laughs> no, no, I'm giving emphasis because overtaxing, overexciting on this side, and there's love. Thank you. <laughs> I had to have you come up, Pete, and do it. You do a really good job. And joy, very good. And But I want you to notice all these words. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. You see, by and large, when you think about our society, with all the immorality and all the action movies, Satan's just trying to excite the system. And then to get another high out of it, you have to watch more. It's got to be more gory or more violent or more immoral. And he gets you down this path, but you don't want to go down that path. You want to go down the path of gentleness. And you're calm. And you trust God with your life. You don't have to win the race. You just got to finish the race. You see? But the devil wants you to get caught up in the rat race. He wants you overstimulated, thinking about wealth and, and a name. And yet success in heaven's eyes is is character. Whether you have a bank account or not, those are the people who are going to make it to heaven. The ones that reflect the image of Jesus, the ones who want to be like him. This is all Satan has to do. He just has to kind of overexert you, kind of whip you, but he's going to stimulate you somehow. And I'm getting pretty close. I'm going to end here pretty soon. Satan plans to overexcite. Think of these things. Alcohol, caffeine, sugar, worldly television, worldly music, conflict. I'm telling you right now, Russia invading Ukraine destroys people. And I'm not just talking about bullets. There's people who have left their homes that are sitting in a subway. There's trauma. But there's an excitement. There's... There's efforts being put forth that are not right. And all this creates an environment that destroys people's health and their thinking. Wars are evil. But so is caffeine and alcohol. These are wars that take people by the millions every year. Every year. And I'll tell you something. We shouldn't have, in this country... The manufacture and sell of alcohol. It's an evil. And I know we'll never stop it. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't be a voice against it. Because it's a poison. It's destroying lives. How many more millions have to go to the grave early? How many more families need to be disrupted? How many more people need to lose their careers? 
And yet in almost every facet of society, whether it's in sporting areas or whatever, alcohol is almost central. Spicy foods. And this is one reason the saints going to do great wonders as if fire comes down out of heaven. Why? Miracles. Why? It's going to excite people. He's overexciting people. And it's going to affect their thinking. But you stay into the word of God. And you're patient. And you're calm and confident in God's word. And it doesn't matter all these exciting false miracles happening out here. But most of the world's already be. This is why the devil's got all this stuff on television and the movies now. People want to see this stuff. He's created a hunger for it, a, an appetite for it. And he's going to give it to them. But you and I got to say, hey, that's, that's not of Jesus. Where you want to find Jesus is in this word. You know, this is exactly where you need to point people. When a person's under the influence of alcohol, we can see the physiological effects in his bloodshot eyes, the slurring of speech, the slower reaction times, change in heart and pulse rates, damage to the liver. But you know, if you can see physical signs, would you not also expect it affects the brain? Absolutely. The drunkard's memory begins to fail. His ideas are less clear and distinct. He neglects his business and family affairs. He sinks lower in principles and in conversations. His associations are different. We go on and on and on. But the point is, and this is the scary part, he's changed. He is physically the same person. But he's not the same person. Does that make sense? And this just isn't alcohol. And this is where this message becomes really important. Because caffeine and sugar and eating all the wrong things can change you. Not just affect whether you're going to have an increased risk of heart disease or cancer. It affects your thinking. And if we could go back and say, over the last 20 years, all the intemperate things I've done, if I could have denied myself and only done that which is healthful, I'd be a different person today. I'd be a better person today. And so we have this time between now and the closer probation. I don't know how long that is. I don't know if we're looking at months or a few years or whatever it is. But this time is short, my friends. This is a short time. And to rededicate ourselves to be a Daniel. To rededicate ourselves and say, Father, show me again. What is the right way of thinking? What is the right way of feeling? What's the right diet for me right now living in the oven? How can I best take care of this human machinery and only do what is good and to refrain from everything that's evil? Because when you get right down to it, that's really the only way to prepare for the second coming of Christ. This is We don't need a political march. We do need a temperance movement. We do need to do everything and ask God to lead each one of us individually. But this is a work each one of us individually needs to do. And there is a world out there to reach because I tell you right now, the devil looks like he's winning. Because look at the lifestyle of America. What is the possibility that most Americans are right make the right decision? That's pretty small, friends. Some will, by God's grace. It's not impossible. It's just whether their minds will comprehend it. Whether their minds are so dull. Or whether they've, they've compromised their resolve enough that they won't choose to do what's right, even when they know it's right. That's the problem. That's what intemperance does. Satan knows that persons who have wrong habits and unsound bodies cannot serve God so earnestly, perseveringly, and purely as though sound. A diseased body affects the brain with, with the mind. We serve God. The head is the capital of the body. And that's all Satan's after. The reason he tempts you to destroy your body is ultimately to... Destroy the brain from where you make all your decisions. Let me just finish up here. Stimulants like caffeine may make you feel more alert and active for about four to six hours. But then you're going to have a corresponding low. And during this time, your breathing will be faster, your heart rate will be faster, your body temperature will go up, 
You're going to feel some restlessness, some excitability, and some dizziness. And children and young people who consume energy drinks containing caffeine, containing caffeine may also suffer from sleep problems and anxiety. As to these are just scientific facts. These are the long term. If we just continue in this in a temperate route, we can wind up with anxiety, difficult sleeping, ulcers, osteoporosis. I mean, caffeine. What caffeine does is it doesn't allow the bones to absorb the calcium. And so you wind up with osteoporosis because that's what caffeine does. It doesn't just disturb the, the rhythms in your brain. It affects other parts of the body as well. Irritability and headaches. You can get headaches from trying to withdraw from caffeine. You'll probably get a headache, but it's only short, for a short time. But if you have too much caffeine, you can get a headache too. Muscle tremor, weakness and fatigue, poor appetite, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and so forth. I mean, it, it's just, it's not even a complete list there. But this is the last slide. Because God created us perfect and in perfect harmony, if you dedicate your life to abide by all his moral and health laws, God will honor that, and he will be with you to bring healing to your body. He will take care of you. But he will not, he will not interfere with your decision to break these laws. He is always showing us that he loves us, and this would be the, re- the only reason we would need to want to follow him. But he has pledged himself. He's made a pledge that for everybody who chooses to do right, he will be there for them. But he's not going to give them power to do wrong. Only to do right. But we need to realize that we are fearfully made and wonderfully made. And it's the fact that we're still alive today with all the intemperance in our world is just amazing. It's really a result of God's masterpiece in making us that we still live and breathe today and can live reasonable lives. But boy, we've done a lot of slaughter to this human frame. But you know, God raised us up not just to tell people about the Sabbath. God didn't raise us up just to tell people what happens when a person dies. God raised us up to with a lot of reforms. There's education reform. There's health reform. God raised us up to help people out there who are trapped into Satan's intemperance movement. Okay? Let us go ahead and I think we're going to have a closing hymn and then we'll have our closing prayer. closing hymn today is going to be number 190, Jesus Loves Me. So number 190.